This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the August 23rd episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we are talking to Elliot Chris, the Director of Production and Analytics at the Quant Edge. He is one of the driving forces over at the Quant Edge. They have over 30 betting and DFS tools, including a lineup optimizer, injury impact, and wide receiver versus cornerback matchups. He has risen rapidly from a grinder to a major player in the fantasy football community and is one of the best Twitter followers out there. Great fantasy insight. Give him a follow at Elliot Christ. Thrilled to have him on the bag to preview the upcoming fantasy season. Elliot, honored to have you on this uh, this week of the Fantasy Football Mailbag. Yeah, I mean, that was a lot of really nice things you said about said about me there. That's probably one of my favorite introductions, so I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you, and I'm pumped to be here. Listen, man, it was an honor getting to know you there. We ended up doing the, the flex draft together. We'll get to that in a little bit down at Sirius, but pleasure meeting you. We went out and grabbed a bite to eat, and I got to hear how you got your break in the industry, how you made your way here to the point you're at right now. Chris Raybon came on a few weeks ago, talked about his incredible story, so I thought we'd start where you just give us a rundown here on how you got into fantasy and how you're at the point you are right now. Yeah, I'm not sure it's as good as Chris Raybon's story, but I'll, I'll, I'll give mine a shot. So honestly, I, I fell in love with football when I was really young, and I begged my mom to play over and over and over and over again, and all she ever said was, you'll get hurt, you can't play. I was like, no, I won't. And you're a big guy, man. I met you in Perth. You're a big guy, so that, that coach wasn't happy about that. Three games into my middle school career, uh, my leg got caught in a pileup, and I tore all my ligaments in my knee and broke it in seven places. Ooh. So fo- playing football went out, and basically I just got obsessed with watching football and studying the game and trying to learn about it. I mean, from creating my own playbook in Madden to, to studying stuff when I was 14 years old, the, the most that I could. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. You know, I've been playing fantasy for 16 years now, 15 years now. I don't remember if I started at 13 or 14, so so cut me a little slack there. Uh, I've been betting since I was 18, so that's 11 years now. DFS since 22. You know, I, and I, so I always loved it, but I just never thought there was an opportunity to, to break into the industry. So I just kind of did it for fun. And I got a job in finance. I worked at Prudential for three and a half years. And ultimately, it was like, I can't do this. This is not what I want to do. I saved up a bunch of money. I was going to travel the world. Instead, I ended up traveling the country because I was going with two instead of one. And 
you know, fell in love. And, and that that journey has been amazing. But one of the things it did was, you know, I randomly on Twitter, I was um, following a guy and he said, you know, everyone always thinks this job so easy. If you think you can do it, you know, apply here at a PFF part time. And so I did. And I got the got the gig and I decided that I was going to try to just outwork everyone. And that's a real challenge at PFF because those guys work their butts off and there's a lot of really smart people over there. And I'm not saying I worked the hardest, but, you know, I was putting in 100 hour weeks and doing everything I could. I, I went from charting games to by the end of the year, I was the guy who did the Super Bowl game uh, for for live action um, charting it. And I did, um, you know, different scouting reports for NFL and college football teams and kind of really worked my way up. Uh, through that time, I created a new Twitter, started building my brand and was able to, you know, get some people interested in me, specifically Scott Barrett and Evan Silver are two guys that caught on pretty early and, and that really helped me grow. Got to work at NDD scouting, did stuff at Bleach Report, uh, came back the next year, did some uh, more stuff for Pro Football Focus, continued to grow the brand, did my own draft daily podcast, did four for four for a while. Power hour was a big part of things, which TQE has now acquired, which I'm incredibly excited about. And, you know, going into last summer, I had built up a following of about, I don't know, 13,000 people, built a really good network and, you know, started getting full-time offers. And it was kind of a dream come true. And in this whole process of me negotiating with different people, I got found by a headhunter who was representing the hedge fund, a former hedge fund manager, uh, who owns TQE, who wanted to interview me. And he, he basically pitched me once I was impressed him that I could kind of take my process and vision and turn it into to tools for people to use and kind of run content the way I'd want to run it. And, you know, I, I wanted to take that opportunity. So I did that last year and we've grown TQE a ton. To, we have over 30 tools now. We have five sports, uh, six sports this year will be college football coming out with our betting tool for that over 30 tools you know i get to kind of run a team and it's it's kind of been a dream come true it really came from grinding and getting lucky breaks and networking and one of the biggest things i tell people who ask me how you can make it in this industry is one take opportunities you know like i i wrote for dlf for a month because i had the bandwidth and was able to just you know and i i have a good relationship with ryan mcdowell because of it you know i i any opportunity i got to do a guest appearance on a podcast i said yes and you continue to grow your network and your base and people really notice that kind of thing and the other thing is i try to do things differently you know the draft daily podcast is a great example where it was 90 podcasts in 90 days and with a different guest each time breaking down a specific prospect and i hadn't seen that and that's what i've tried to do at tqa too you know the injury tool similar to the nba wowie tool but it wasn't available in the industry and take wide receiver cornerback matchups to another level and you know i really think that hard work and talent get noticed and being able to be different and unique and create a network is really how you grow in this industry. I totally agree. And you're being very humble because you have a talent. Not only do you outwork people, but you have a talent, you see things, and you're able to give some great predictions and projections for people. You've been killing it in the preseason. That's the message. The message is to grind. Don't get caught up, folks, with getting paid. When I was starting out, I was just writing for free. I love to write. I love to write. I love to analyze players, do projections, talk about matchups. That's the key. Hard work pays off grinding. And I remember Remember, Elliot, when you came out on Twitter and said, I'm going to have some big news when you were starting TQE and that was about to, to get up there, you're like, it's coming out in a couple of days. And I got excited for you because I'm like, listen, if this guy's saying something's big, then it's going to be really big. That's the, that's the way it works. And you get to know your network. And that, that's clearly the message, no doubt. 
I appreciate that. Yeah, that was that was really exciting. Now I've I've done a lot of things that I never in a million years thought I was going to do, from website design to tool design to the back end of websites, and I've learned a lot of different things. And uh, you know, we're really exciting. You know, we're we're launching our app in two weeks, an iOS app, and I've been working with the developers on that. So there's so many different skills I've learned throughout this process, but. You know, being humble, <laughs> once you start be- talking about being humble, I'm not sure if you still are humble. But <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, yeah, sure. But I, I really think one of the biggest things is you're going to disagree with people and just make it about a conversation or a friendly yes. debate. So many people take things personally. You and I have disagreed about things, and the next day, no one cares, right? It's That's like, correct. You're, yeah. If you disagree with me about a prospect, you're not saying, and Elliot, I think you're stupid and I hate you. No, like, no. But that's how some people approach it. Or in the other approach is like, to guys, specifically like Evan Silva, you see it all the time in his mentions where someone's like, I could do this way better than you. Stop. Stop. That's, that's not a great way for someone to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Let me help you out. I'd love – you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Listen, you and I are East Coast guys. We grew up Mike and the Mad Dog, all that stuff we used to hear. I mean you got to be able to debate passionately but be respectful. That's the key, right? Exactly. Like you have your point of view. They have your point of view. Try to educate each other. And at the end of the day, if you disagree, you disagree. But it's you disagree with their point, not with who they are as a person. And we were down the flex leagues there with a bunch of analysts. Had a great time, of course. So just give us a rundown here. How do you like your team? What was your strategy coming in? Now, honestly, Elliot, looking at your team looks better than mine for sure. But <laughs> give us a rundown as your thoughts on, uh, on how you went through it. Yeah, so it was a super flex league, which is always really interesting because you want to be able to take quarterbacks early. But at the same time, you want to, um, you know, not kind of be the only one that does it. So I think you really have to adjust to your leagues more than anybody else. But when Travis Kelsey fell to me in the second round, I was almost floored. I think he gives you such an edge. I mean, he was, what, wide receiver nine last year if he played that position in PPR. You know, he was, what, 31 points ahead of tight end two. And I think it was like 130 points ahead of tight end six. <laughs> Like he's such a value at that position. And what I tried to do was, you know, I took David Johnson, my stud, and then I ended up with Kyler Murray, too. So I'm all in on that Cardinals offense. If it doesn't work, then, you know, my team's not going to be great. And I know that second preseason game didn't look good, but I'm not ready to jump ship. Yet. Of course, Elliot, that means that the season's over, that it's a failure, right? Of course, <laughs> that, that means that it's over. It's a terrible disaster. It is amazing how people think that. You know what I mean? It's, it's this need for confirmation bias. But I was able to grab Kyler Murray and David Johnson because I think if David Johnson has a good season, it means that Kyler Murray is going to be successful. I grabbed high-end wide receivers with Brandon Cooks and Amari Cooper, Alshon Jeffrey and Marvin Jones. I probably need to add another receiver through the waiver wire, which I can. And then I added on behind David Johnson just a lot of guys that have valuable roles at the running back position that I can kind of rotate week to week or if there's an injury, shoot guys up. So Damian Harris, Daryl Henderson, Justice Hill – David Johnson, Jalen Samuels, James White. I think a lot of these guys provide a lot of depth at that running back position, and I'll probably end up dropping one of them. I love what you did there, man, because you have so many great satellite backs that were available sort of mid to late rounds, whether it's Justice Hill, if Ingram gets hurt. You have Jalen Samuels, of course, that Pittsburgh has an ambiguous backfield. People aren't sure how Connor's going to be used with Samuels. James White, Naeem Hines, of course. You know, Marlon Mack, I, I, we're not ready to pencil him in as a stud yet, you know, a, a typical RB1. So you have a lot of guys who could pop and really move up there if the situation hits right exactly and i i really only need one or two of those guys to hit that that's the way i've set it up and i can drop them i felt like because i took travis kelsey and his buys in week 12 i don't need another tight end on my roster i feel like it's a wasted roster space i took the bears in the 15th round 
Uh, I mean, they were the number one defense last year. They should regress some. It's tough for defenses to score in this league, but if I can get a top five defense, I'll, I'll go one round early. And I took Ryan Tannehill in the yeah. last round. It's just a way to, to troll Joe Dolan, who was making <laughs> yeah. fun of the Marcus Mariota pick on live radio. <laughs> For like 15 minutes. So I was like, you know what? I'm just taking Tannehill so that he can have a reaction and a yeah. laugh and I'll drop him before the season. But I felt pretty good about my team uh, when it's all said and done. I probably need one more wide receiver. But it's a situation where I think there's a lot of upside with this team. I was at the 12 spot there at the turn. So a lot of those main guys were gone. The guy I wanted was Mixon, but Frank Stanfield took him right in front of me. So I ended up doubling up with the wide receiver and trying to start there. I think a lot of it has to do with the position. Obviously, you love to have a David Johnson, one of those bell cow guys in an air raid offense who projects not only to have efficiency, but volume. But I ended up going with the wide receivers and keeping my fingers crossed all along the way. But I do like your team a, a lot, Elliot. I'm going to say that. So looking forward to seeing how the, the season season's gonna gonna end up one of the big news items that broke this week of course is josh gordon reinstated josh gordon to the patriots so it gives the pats a much needed offensive weapon and i'm curious to see what you think about this pats offense now because tom brady we were talking about it that night was kind of sliding down draft boards you know his second half there he really wasn't putting out a lot of great top 12 performances there with the patriots didn't have a ton of weapons edelman just got back from his injury Nikhil harry got injured so i'm curious where do you think gordon's going to fit into this offense how do you think it's going to be and what's his effect now trickle down with an edelman and Nikhil harry so first, before I do that, I just want to say that I really liked your flex team as well. I, I remember, you know, when every time the turn came, I was like, oh, these are the two guys I would take. And then you, you seem to grab them each time. Uh, Chris Carson, Baker Mayfield. Now I feel better about my team. Thank yeah. you, Elliot. <laughs> oh, no, you have a lot of my guys this year. Um, so I, I was pretty impressed with what you did as well. But going to the Josh Gordon thing. You know, this is one of my highest owned best ball guys because I was getting him in the 16th to 18th round because I thought he might get reinstated. I didn't think he'd get reinstated for the entire season, but it definitely uh, is going to mix things up in New England. I don't think it affects Julian Edelman that much. I think he's still going to be the feature of that offense. He's still going to see eight to 10 targets. You know, Gronk isn't there. I think Edelman and Gordon will, will split that work. I think it makes Enkil Harry nearly undraftable in season long leagues. One, He's a rookie receiver. Two, he's been injured in camp. Three, he struggled to get on the same page with Tom Brady and in general in camp. And four, best case scenario, he's the fourth option on the team. And right now, Jacoby Myers has outplayed him. Now, I don't think Myers will be the long-term answer over Harry, but uh, I just think that Harry has kind of fallen to the point where I'm, I'll let someone else take that risk. I think Edelman's still a screaming value. I think he'll see 8 to 12 targets a week in that offense in the top five pace and top five scoring offense basically every year. And Josh Gordon is kind of sitting right around that Robbie Anderson range, and I think he has real upside. I think he's a big boost for Tom Brady this season, and I think that um, – Gordon is worth taking at that price tag, but he does have the risk. I mean, he's. I feel like he's a. He, if he plays a full season, in the range he goes, he will be the number one wide receiver of that range. But the the potential relapse because addiction is a very real thing. Uh, there is legit risk beyond just injury. With no, there absolutely is, and he hasn't played a full season since 2012. So you know this is why you have to do your research. Your Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Myers, guys like that, they may not pop right away in the first few weeks, but you got to pay attention. I agree. If Gordon plays 16 games, not only is that incredible for him and, and a wonderful thing for him, 
but fantasy owners are going to be thrilled because this guy's going to produce. I mean, that season he had with Cleveland there, you know, only 14 games, 1,600 yards, nine touchdowns, playing with a, a plethora of below average QBs is still one of the best seasons I've ever seen in my life. But you get, agree, it's fluid. It's a Bayesian process, right? So you got to be aware of the other guys. If he's on the field, he's going to produce. But if he ends up, you know, uh, you know, God forbid, having a relapse or something like that, you're going to be able to pick up those other guys. So keep them on your radar. But I think it does hurt them early. Yeah. And for the record, using TQA's injury tool, Julian Ed- uh, Josh Gordon being on the field did not impact Julian Edelman negatively at all. He actually saw a higher target share with Gordon on the field than off the field. I, I don't think it messes with Edelman at all. I don't think they have a similar role in terms of what they do on the offense. If anything, Gordon's ability to open up the middle of the field will help Edelman even more. I think Gordon and Edelman are the two pass catchers I want in New England. Yeah, I totally agree. And I want to take this moment to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 10% discount here on a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, which is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. That subscription gives you guys unlimited access to our premium NFL content, and best of all, it does support the pod. Another way to support the pod here is through patreon.com. We have it for our second season. It's better than ever. Patronships start at just $6 per month. We have exclusive access. We're working on a Slack channel where we go back and forth with our patrons there talking about picks, giving advice. You can jump in, talk to the podcast host, writers, whenever you want. Patrons get a first crack at our Road of His Listener Leagues, which are up and running. We're already drafting right now at an FFPC $35 best ball. Higher end tier, $9 per month. Still a great deal. You get Road of His merch at the end of the season. So become a Road of His patron today. Join that exclusive community at patreon.com forward slash podcast, which is another way to help us continue that industry-leading content and all the pods that we do free each week on the network. Elliot, let's stay with the wide receivers here. You have extensive knowledge, guys in college, rookies and veterans across the board. A lot of variance in this potential rookie wide receiver class. There always is, but especially with this one. Give me those top maybe two to three rookie wide receivers that you think, maybe not right away, but eventually will make a big impact in redraft this season. Oh, one is I tend to avoid rookie wide receivers just to, to say, say that from the jump. One guy I really like his potential this year is Paris Campbell. You know, and I know he's dealing with the hamstring and we have Andrew Lux, but he's going so late in drafts. He's such an explosive athlete. And they can really they they said that when he's been healthy, he's looked phenomenal. He's got a very developed route tree. But what I really like him to do is in that slot at the mesh um, kind of run underneath routes and they're they're going to find ways to get him open in space indoors and I think he could have a lot of spike weeks it may be very difficult to know when they're coming honestly other than him Andy Isabella is a guy I don't mind late because I think he's going to work his way into the third receiver role and that team's going to have four receivers on the field a majority of the time and they're going to run 75 plays per game and I'm a believer in Kyler Murray um, you know AJ Brown concerns me I don't love the tight offense yep. he's missed he's missed a lot of time and kill harry's a guy that you know he's missed time and i don't love his role in this offense with josh gordon coming back Uh, marquise brown's had a foot injury this entire time and the ravens are very suspect in terms of how they're how much they're going to throw the ball this year so those are a few of the top guys off the board and they i just kind of tend to let other people take that risk paris campbell's intriguing because he has the injury right now that's a nagging hamstring injury but he has the 431 speed they're on the carpet devin funches is probably going to take a lead there getting those targets behind ty hilton early 
early, but he is a guy who could have some really nice boom weeks. He's a nice DFS play late when he gets healthy. I totally agree with that. What about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside? You know, this Philadelphia offense, spectacular offensive line, a lot of weapons there. I wouldn't call Alshon Jeffrey Elliott an alpha. I wouldn't say he's your traditional, you know, wide receiver one. So do you see Arcega-Whiteside maybe as the season progresses with his size, getting some red zone looks and being productive here? Yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, that's what they drafted him to do. The thing about Jeffrey is I think ultimately he's best as a wide receiver two in this league. I think he's an elite wide receiver two and he's a poor wide receiver one. Uh, how, I mean, Dallas Goddard's injury could impact J.J. Arcega-Whiteside a lot, too. You know, he's supposed to be ready for week one, but you never know. But that team wants to run a lot of 12 personnel. I think the hardest thing with J.J. in season long, it's going to be really difficult to predict those weeks without an injury. Because Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey should be the top two guys. They still have Nelson Aguilar. I think he'll end up with five touchdowns on the season, just not a ton of ton of yards. Um, if I had to go, like... a Deep sleeper, Kashawn Johnson of the Cardinals has looked really good. You can get him in the last round of any draft. And then, you know, McCole Hardman is actually a really interesting case study for me because I, yes. I had none of him, wanted no parts. When he was going in the seventh and eighth round in best ball drafts, and they were like, well, he's small and fast. He'll be Tyreek Hill. No, no. That's like Tyreek Hill is, is a ridiculous, talented player. But now that Hill's back and he's kind of stepped, he's going to be in that third receiver role especially as the season goes on. He'll, he'll beat out Demarcus Robinson for that job, or uh, I'm pretty confident. In, or if Sammy Watkins has an injury, which he has a history of, you know, he's just cheap exposure to an explosive player in the Chiefs offense, where he's went, gone from like round eight where it's like no way to round 15 or 16 where you're like, oh, this, this makes a lot of sense as a late-round guy that at the end of the season in an explosive offense could make some noise. That little jet sweep they had there where he, he ran that one in for a touchdown preseason, that was pretty impressive. Even if he's a gadget guy, if you're getting him in round 15, I mean, you never know. And then he's an injury away there from taking a more prominent role. You hit a great point about Deshaun Jackson. Remember last year, folks, Deshaun Jackson with Tampa, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the whole thing. All I remember, Elliot, is week one, New Orleans. <laughs> what was that? Like the third play of the game, the third play of the season, bombed Deshaun Jackson touchdown. So it, 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 back to back to start the year last year, 146 receiving yards, 129 receiving yards, then 112 in week four. He's a guy who usually makes an impact very, very early in the season. Oh, yeah, because I mean, he's still so good. He's just... It, he struggles staying healthy. I mean, I think what he can do for that offense, the Eagles haven't had a deep threat like him in a long time. They tried with Torrey Smith. The biggest problem with Torrey Smith is that he's terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that's groundbreaking analysis right there. I really had that to could hold you back. On. Yes, that's that, that's that's a problem. Yeah, but uh, I mean, Jackson's still an elite player. He's arguably the best deep threat after Tyree Kill in the NFL, can take the top off of defense. I think he's in for a big year. He doesn't need high volume. Uh, and that, But he is leaving the Bucks, right? And the Bucks now have a ton of vacated targets with him and Adam Humphreys out, which allows Chris Godwin to be everybody's darling this year for good reason. I mean, he's an incredibly talented player. Mike Evans is there and O.J. Howard. And quite frankly, I, in my opinion, I think any pass that doesn't go to one of those three guys is a mistake in terms of play design. You know, and that's where I wanted to go next was Tampa Bay. Evans, Godwin. Evans is the guy who's there. Not a lot of yards after catch guy, but certainly he's been prolific with his production on a yearly basis here as, he, as he's really started his career. He's still a young guy. And then Chris Godwin, of course, is everyone's flavor to break out this year. 
I'm curious where you're at with Tampa Bay. I have questions about Jameis Winston. I know Arians is there. He can usually fix a lot of things. He was very successful with Carson Palmer, but Winston certainly has the turnover bug. Do you see Winston really making that jump to be a top 10, top eight quarterback this year? And how do you see the impact? Do you like Evans or Godwin? Is it still going to be Evans as the wide receiver one? Are they going to both be sort of one and one A? I still think Mike Evans is the wide receiver one. I think sometimes we forget how consistent Mike Evans is. You know, in terms of his statistical profile at his age, is he's like one of three guys to ever have the thousand yards and the number of targets and the touchdowns. I mean, he's he's been a, an absolute baller in this league. I still think he'll be Winston's go-to guy. But there's this team is going to be a high-volume passing offense. Jameis Winston likes to take shots down the field. I think Evans and Godwin can both make value. I preferred Godwin in the late fourth as opposed to early fourth or even third now he's starting to creep up much closer to his ceiling and I, again oj howard's a guy that's averaged 16.7 yards per catch in his nfl career which is absurd at the tight end position but he's a sub four five guy at six six two fifty and he stays healthy he could be absolutely amazing i think winston's a much better fantasy quarterback than nfl quarterback they're going to throw the ball a lot they're going to throw the ball downfield and he's got elite playmakers but like you said he's a turnover machine so I don't I don't mind taking him in fantasy at all. Though the quarterback position is the deepest in the NFL. You know, it goes I think we talked about it at the flex draft, right? It's like twenty two deep in terms of guys you're yep. mm-hmm. you don't feel terrible starting this year. So I mean I'm not going out of my way to get Winston. If if I can get him in a stack with Godwin or Evans or O. J. Howard, that's kinda where I target him. Because he's going around guys like Jared Goff or before guys like Lamar Jackson, who I probably prefer this year but i like winston's upside and ultimately i don't think there is a ryan fitzpatrick i mean we're looking at ryan griffin or blaine gabbard as the backup quarterback winston's gonna have to play horrendously to get benched for one of those guys i think this is kind of his year he'll have the year and it's whether or not he comes back next year but i think fantasy wise those interceptions tend not to kill you they're only they're typically minus one point obviously obviously in I've seen leagues where it's like minus six points for interceptions. You want to get super careful with Jameis Winston there. But um, I'm not that worried about the turnovers. You know, we're in this FFPC draft right now, best ball. It's a slow draft. And Patrick Mahomes just went as the first quarterback at the end of round five. I mean, so that tells you all you need to know. It's so deep. As much as Mahomes was great, and he could regress and have 39 touchdowns, 38 touchdowns, Elliot, right? But Winston's another example. Sam Darnold is still on most ADPs, like quarterback 22, quarterback 23. So it is really, really deep. And Winston is going to have those boom weeks. He's going to have your four touchdown games. It's it's just a matter of can you figure it out and if he reduces those turnovers i agree he that's the key if he can get through that he's going to have big big volume here this year yeah and the great thing too is oftentimes winston's interceptions are so bad they end up as pick sixes and so he just comes right back on the field anyway yeah that's a great point <laughs> excellent point i had pat fitzmaurice on earlier this summer he put a, a twitter question out there that blew up best american band of all time i won't ask you the best but i'm asking what's your favorite american band of all time so I, honestly, we probably should have screened this question before the podcast because my girlfriend's basically banned me from uh, talking about music uh, <laughs> publicly because of my musical tastes. Um, so, so I'll go with hers, the one that she makes me listen to that I enjoy. I really like Sublime. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, but I mean, like, I'm not a huge American band guy. I mean, 
I should not admit this on a podcast, but who who cares? Uh, the, if I had to say the band that I've listened to the most in my life, and it's not been recently, it was definitely Backstreet Boys. I know that's a boy band, but hey, that's I listened fair. to them you know, a lot growing up. That's confidence uh, <laughs> there, Elliot. You're confident. You stand behind your convictions not only in fantasy but in life. I like it. Listen, I, I mean, basically I just listen to Ed Sheeran on loop, and he's not a band, and he's not from America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Sublime, Sublime is the – the way I'll go for, for her and the fact that she's got me listening to him a lot more and um, I really enjoy their music. I love this question. Curtis Patrick ended up giving us Johnny Cash. So there's been a whole wide range of it. I like it. I tell, tell your girlfriend you're a great guy. You stand by your <laughs> conviction. That's why she loves you. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Top five running backs by ADP, Elliot, never finish really anywhere close to that order. I went way back to like 2007 in the Ladanian Tomlinson years. There's always some variance. So the top five PPR running backs by ADP last year before the season started, Gurley, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara. Of course, we know about the situation with Bell. The top five running backs at the end of the season were Saquon Barkley, McCaffrey, Gurley, Kamara, and Zeke. So there actually wasn't as much variance last year. Last year was sort of rare in comparison to the years before. While that was actually one of the least varied finishes, I had a chance to take a look at it, and I'm curious to see who do you think right now, out of Barkley, McCaffrey, Kamara, David Johnson, Elliott, who are the current top five running backs by ADP, if one of those guys I told you finished out of there, who's the one that you think is most likely to drop? So are we assuming that all guys play 16 games? Yeah, because, yeah or within because, reason. 14 to 16. 14 to 16, right, yeah. Because if Zeke pulls a bell, then I'm going to go ahead and cheat and say Elliott. Assuming but, uh, he played, right, exactly. So I think it's actually Alvin Kamara. And I know – and the thing about Alvin Kamara is that he's a historically good running back. His his efficiency is as good as any player's like ever at the running back position. He is so talented. But ultimately what, the, what correlates most to fantasy points for a running back is snaps. And Sean Payton has talked about he's capping his snaps at like 65%. And so he's going to go up against guys like McCaffrey, who's going to play 85 to 90, Barkley, who's going to play 85, Johnson, who's going to play 80 plus, and Elliott, who they didn't take off the field <laughs> when, he, when he was healthy last year. And obviously, I think Tony Pollard will take some of the pass game work from him. But Kamara just has to continue to be incredibly efficient, where if he just goes from like all-time great to really good efficiency, he's going to drop out of the top five. Now, if he was guaranteed 80% of the snaps, I would say he's the least likely to drop out. So that's why I'm going to go him. And then after that, I would have to go David Johnson just because, you know, if that thing blows up with Kyler Murray in the air raid offense and they're not able to get the other teams off the field and he kind of gets stuck, he that's the, the worry for me. With Barkley and McCaffrey, I really think it's injuries are the only thing that can take them away because they're both going to see over 100 targets this year. They're, they just have such a high PPR floor where, especially with Tate out, Shepard banged up, Barkley could legitimately see 10 targets a game. And that sounds absurd, but their offense is going to completely run through him. And I know that you could come back with me with the, well, you need to be a top 16 offense for running back to have a top five finish. But Barkley's kind of the exception to that rule because of his pass game ability. And the, the eight man in the box, he is PFF's third overall graded running back against eight guys in the box. And while that limits running backs, one of the things it does is it actually leaves you more susceptible to big plays because once you break that first level, you're gone. There's yep. not really a guy hanging back there. And Barkley breaks big runs better than like anyone other than Barry Sanders ever. And I know he's only a rookie, but of all players in the NFL right now, he's second 
and runs over 49 yards, and he's only played in the league for one year. Crazy. So, um, I mean, he's. I, I really think that his volume, especially in the passing game, creates such a high floor. And same thing with McCaffrey. They're basically wide receiver twos plus RB1s. To have a three-down goal line RB1 is so rare. That's what Barkley is. McCaffrey got built up. We saw the pictures there. He's going to have that role. He basically had it last year. I agree with Kamara. And, you know, as the as the preseason has gone on here, I've gotten a little concerned with Kamara. I understand the report came out, Chris Raybon put it out, that they're going to feed him, that he's going to eat because they haven't been as impressed with Murray and they really, you know, realized that Ingram was better than they thought he was. I just don't think that's a workload he can handle. I know in the first four weeks last year, three of those four weeks to start, he was overall RB1 in PPR formats. I understand that. I just don't think that's sustainable. And I think they want to keep him fresh. Drew Brees' arm strength is is going down. It's an underreported story. I don't see him at the same level as these other guys. He he his efficiency could just fall off a little bit and he may not be at that level. He's still solid, but I agree. I think the upside of the other players is is much larger. It's just, I mean it's just listen, if I get a 15% bigger workload, it's very valuable cuz I mean Kamara's an amazing talent, but Barkley, McCaffrey, David Johnson, Zeke, it's not like they're not amazing talents as well. Hey, Rotoviz fans, allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first Dynasty League, and now they've grown to be the world's largest Dynasty League commissioner. Those leagues are active and competitive, and not a single one has ever folded. Brand new startup Dynasty Leagues are still forming right now through the start of the NFL season, starting at $77 and up in standard, Superflex, and best ball formats. And for those of you who are ready for the next challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event. What is the main event exactly? It's just the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football, and this year it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over $3.1 million in total prizes. Come to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, or draft online from the comfort of your own home. Main event drafts begin August 23rd and run through the start of the season. Go to MyFFPC.com and register now. That's MyFFPC.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Question here from a Browns fan. Granted, I do hate the Bengals and the Steelers. I understand that. But I don't see how Nick Chubb has a worse fantasy season than James Conner and Joe Mixon. Conner's going to lose touches to Samuels. Mixon's offense is terrible. No A.J. Green now. Am I a biased fan or does this make sense? What do you think? I really wish we could actually have a clear understanding of what's going on with James Conner. Because you ask him one day, and he's like, I'm getting all the workload. And the next day, he's like, it's a three-man backfield. (laughs) But I do do think Jalen Samuels is going to be very involved in that passing game. Um, Joe Mixon's on a bad offense for sure. He should be fed the ball a lot. I think if if this was through eight games, I would say yes, I agree. I think the Kareem Hunt coming back in the second half of the year and being very 
being very involved is a, is a realistic possibility. Now, I don't want to draft Kareem Hunt because he's guaranteed out, but in the fantasy playoff run, I think Connor and Mixon may have more value. So, I mean, I don't think he's a completely biased fan, but I don't think it's a lock that Chubb is better than Connor and Mixon this year. Yeah, I agree. I think the versatility there leans me with, with Connor and Mixon. This is a philosophical question for you. Preseason's always a time for these dramatic swings. You talked about recency bias, knee-jerk reactions. It's very important for fantasy owners to gather that intel. They get glimpses there. I remember years ago, I got a, a huge intel on Arian Foster. Remember, he just broke out, so you were seeing him in the preseason a little bit. But how do you factor the information? How do you take this and sort of distill it that you get from the preseason? And what do you decide? How do you decide what you feel is actionable and what isn't between the videos, the beat reporter reports? And like you said, the players sometimes give mixed messages. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the there's two things. One is when it comes to preseason, usage is more important than production. And I know Evan Silva and Adam Levantan have been pounding that drum all preseason long. You know, if a guy's playing every snap with the starters, that's a pretty good sign that the coaches plan on playing him a lot this year. Uh, if a guy has two crazy pre, like Jalen Hurd has two touchdowns in a preseason game, that doesn't mean he's now the 49ers wide receiver one. You know, like, we didn't even have a catch last night. I don't think he even had yeah. a catch last night. Yep. Well, I mean, I'm not sure anyone had a catch. On the 49ers <laughs> right. Yeah, correct. Was, um, that was that was not a great football game, but. Um, I think it's a situation where, you know, in terms of beat reporters and practice reports, and people mention this, that drum beat is really important. I don't want just like one, oh, this guy had a good practice today. Like Curtis Samuels is a great example where mini camps, Curtis Samuels is the best guy out here. OTAs, Curtis Samuels is the best guy out here. Being at a training camp, Curtis Samuels is the best guy out here. Um, you know, joint scrimmages, Trey White can't cover Curtis Samuel. Okay, that, let's start listening. You know what I mean? I don't want to go insane with it. I mean, I really like Curtis Samuel before all of this, but when you have that drumbeat and everyone keeps saying it and, you know, this guy that has a good profile, I mean, he, he's a 4-3-1 guy. It, it's, it's, that's when I start to get really excited. So I'm looking for drumbeat and I'm looking for usage during the preseason. And honestly, highlight plays and videos and all that kind of stuff. Like it's fun, but I basically completely ignore it. So it's basically you look for the consistency, like, you know, one pop there from Newton to Curtis Samuel, not a big deal. But when it happens over and over again, you keep hearing it and you have that and combine that with the usage, then you have yourself some actionable data. Right. So like I see he had eight or more targets in seven of the last eight games last year. And then I see that he's consistently been Newton's favorite guy and he beats everyone, you know, for four straight months. I'm starting to say, okay, this guy might be a screaming value right now. And obviously – that's a kind of a cop-out answer because everyone right now feels like Curtis Samuel is a screaming value, and that's why he goes in the sixth instead of eighth round now. A couple of things I noticed in the preseason, want to get your take on here, that I think there's a little smoke to some of these. Atlanta's last preseason game against the Jets, which was their third, but only the Jets' second, they were really pitiful on offense. Matt Ryan stayed on the field for most of the first half against that bad Jets secondary. He was 10 of 14 for 188 yards, no touchdowns at home. He was running for his life a lot. He got sacked three times. Ryan has tended to struggle with a new offensive coordinator. Now, Dirk Cotter is not that. They have familiarity before, but he took over for Steve Sarkissian. What do you think about Atlanta's offense? It looks totally explosive. They have a new offensive line. They have some new guys in there. McGarry's out with the heart issue. Of course, he'll be coming back. But is this something to be concerned? You know, you've seen Sam Darnold go down the field twice with the first unit. You've seen Baker Mayfield come in, take his team right down the field. Matt Ryan at home against the Bad Jets secondary struggling. Is there a little fire to that smoke? For me, I'm not really that worried about it. One, Julio Jones is not on the field, which to me is a big deal. 
Um, you know, if I look at that offense, I think that it's as talented as any team in the NFL with Julio, Calvin Ridley, Muhammad Sanu, Austin Hooper, and Devontae Freeman. They did improve the offensive line, like you mentioned. McGarry, obviously, you know, I hope everything's going to be okay and he comes back. But that guard position was a, a big upgrade for them this offseason. 12 of their first 13 games are, you know, in controlled environments, so either a dome or retractable roof. You know, Matt Ryan has been Mr. Consistent in his career, completing 65% or more passes, 4,000 or more yards, and, you know, three of the, two of the last three years, 38 or more, t- or 35 or more touchdowns. So, you know, I think, honestly, this Falcons team is, is set to boom this year, and I'm not that worried about it, especially because I kind of think Steve Scar- Sarkeesian stunk as an offensive coordinator. So, I mean, I'm not a huge Dirk Cutter guy, but I think the talent there, you're going to see a lot out of Matt Ryan. And, you know, kind of to transition to Sam Darnold for a second, it's so interesting how these narratives get played, right? Because on his first drive against the Giants, he threw a pass that should have been an intercepted, and it got dropped. And if that one drive happened and he threw a bad interception and never had that touchdown drive, what are we saying? Exactly. Right? It's, it's such a small sample size to go off production that it's not something I want to completely change my ranks going into the season. You know, Matt Ryan did have a fantastic year last year. He had his MVP season, 4,944 passing yards. Last year, only 20 less, 4,924. His touchdown interception ratio the year the MVP 38 to 7 last year 35 to 7 so it was very under the radar they have a lot of potential here Atlanta and you know obviously they're chomping at the bit to get back to the Super Bowl Sam Darnold same thing Sam Darnold and this has been a huge sort of division here among fantasy analysts what do you think about Sam Darnold and that offense are those weapons you know Robbie Anderson Quincy Anunua Jamison Crowder Le'Veon Bell Herndon after four games when he comes back would you say that's an explosive offense or would you say that maybe that's a little bit overrated I see people going both ways here is it really as good as we think it is so this is a tough question for me to answer because I'm going to give it in twofold one is I think the weapons are probably a top 15 group of weapons for a young quarterback Robbie Anderson's really good Jamison Crowder's consistently banged up but is a good slot receiver Quincy Noon was not that great on the outside he's honestly much better in the slot um and Bell's a big time running back they improve the interior offensive line signing Khalil I thought was a big deal they really struggle at offensive tackle um Sam Darnold you know he improved the second half of the year but he will make some bad decisions I think one there's one concern and one bonus for Sam Darnold the big concern is Adam Gase they're all, his offenses have always historically gone very slow. And if they do that, it's going to be hard for Darnold to get the volume. The counterpoint is that Jets' defense has big names but is terrible at really important positions. They have no edge rushers. Um, right, their, their best edge rusher is Polite, who's a third-round pick out of Florida, who had a horrendous combine but a really good film. But rookie pass rushers tend to take a little bit of time, especially third-round guys. And their cornerback position is Tremaine Johnson, who has a hamstring injury, uh, Brian Poole, and Daryl Roberts. Good luck with that. They're going to give up a lot of points. So Darnold, I think, is going to be asked to do a lot. I think the QB23 price tag absolutely puts him in play. I like Robbie Anderson a lot, despite the tough cornerback schedule. I think Darnold really trusts him. Um, So I think the price tag is reasonable. If he starts getting up into that QB 15 range where some people are are, talking about him, I think there's – I would much rather a guy like Lamar Jackson over him. So I I think that he's a perfectly fine QB 2 that's going to have streamable weeks. Uh, um, But I think there's definitely reason for concern. So I know I didn't give you a complete answer there, but I don't think it's an obvious one. 
It's complicated. That's why the, that's what these situations are. Because, like I said, you get small sample size, you get a small picture here, and you have to sort of extrapolate. You don't want to go too far with that. One that we touched on, last one here that we touched on earlier, is of course Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury. The whole clap issue at the line in the last preseason game was not a great performance against the Raiders. Now, I think one of the most compelling Week One games is the Lions at the Cardinals because the Lions have an incredibly difficult schedule to open the season. They are a two and a half point favorite at the Cardinals on week one. After that, the Lions play the Chargers at the Eagles, home to the Chiefs, a bye, then at the Packers and the Vikings. So I think this is a Lions team and Matt Patricia, of course, could be on the hot seat. Things don't go well here, really needs this opening game. And they're going against an Arizona Cardinal defense that's going to be decimated in the secondary. So there is potential shootout potential here with Kyler Murray and this Arizona offense. So again, do you think they're holding something back here and you don't put too much stock in the Kyler Murray? I think we agree. But don't you think that if week one doesn't go well, that these concerns are going to even grow exponentially? So, I mean, I 100% believe that they're holding stuff back in the preseason. I mean, Cliff said as much that they're not running anything. It's all vanilla in the preseason. Um, I, I think people are way overreacting to Kyler Murray having a bad preseason game. Uh, you know, people are pointing out that Cam Newton was struggled in preseason and then went out there and lit it up. And Blake Bortles was awesome in preseason and went out there and stunk. Or Deshaun Watson wasn't great in preseason. Though I'll never admit that Deshaun Watson wasn't great at anything. Um, that's of course that's your picture right here on <laughs> Skype. Of course, yes. Um, I actually think that the Lions are a terrible matchup for the Cardinals for two reasons. One. The Cardinals can't stop the run, and the Lions have basically built their entire team on it, around it. Uh, two, the Lions are going to try to really slow this game down. They're a very slow-paced team, and the, the Cardinals want to go fast. And three, the Lions were the best team in the NFL at containing quarterbacks last year. And I think a lot of Kyler Murray's success, come is from, especially from a fantasy perspective, is going to come from using his legs and his ability to improv. And the and the Lions really developed their whole defense around keeping the quarterback in the pocket. You look at guys like Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Mitch Trubisky, Josh Allen. None of them cracked 20 rushing yards. Josh Allen had a rushing touchdown, but it was actually a play where he just made the linebacker miss who had contained on him. So I th- honestly, I was bummed that Murray had a bad preseason game because he was shaping up to be DFS chalk where I could fade him week one. Everyone's like, oh, I guess the rookie quarterback sucks, and then kind of come back week two and look to play him. But I do ultimately think that this is a bad matchup for the Cardinals. Yeah, that's a great point. You're getting some tidbits there, folks. TQE Elliott Christ here, a week one DFS. So take a warning with that. Take heed with that and make sure you pay attention. Elliot, what's the best sporting event you ever attended live? Oh, this is a tough one. I was at the Garden for Coach K's 1,000th win where Duke had a crazy comeback to get it. Oh, that counts. That's a good one, yes. That was yep. that was really cool. Seeing Barry Bonds hit a home run was really cool for me as a kid. I grew up a big baseball fan. I don't like baseball anymore. Um, and then another one for me is a uh, – I'm going to give you two. So Jets beat the Patriots like the one time ever at home, and I was at that game, and it was a really – awesome experience always fun games those are always fun games and and then the other one for me was a jets texans game where the jets blew a huge lead they were up by like i don't know 17 points uh heading into the fourth quarter and then the texans blew the doors off them in the fourth quarter and everybody left and the jets are down four points with like 30 seconds to go 
and it's me, my dad, and probably 40 other people in the stadium. And the Jets hit like three passes down the field, and Sanchez hits Santonio Holmes, I believe, at the back corner of the end zone from like 35 yards out, like as time expires. So there's probably like four seconds left. And that was just the moment of, you know, we won. Oh, no, we lost to pure jubilation where we're like we're one of the only fans that stay le- that are still there. So it's very different than your typical amazing sporting experience where the entire crowd's going nuts. But all 40 people that were still in that stadium were, were going absolutely nuts. And I, I still remember that feeling. And you'll never forget it. You got family there, of course. And those are the ones that go back and forth. That's why we love sports, because there's always going to be something that we didn't expect. And you got to see it live. Makes total sense. Let's do some fantasy football redraft trick or treat. So I'm going to ask you, are these players tricking their fantasy owners at the current ADP or are they still a treat? All these, of course, will assume half point PPR. Let's start with the Bears tight end last year. Sort of a mercurial one. Trey Burton at tight end 11. Yeah, I'm probably going to go trick here. And I understand he finished overall very well, though he didn't have a ton of spike weeks. It's just that the tight end position was garbage. Um, There are a few guys below him that I prefer. Washington tight end had the best camp, they said, of his career. Jordan Reed, he's currently tight end 17. Yeah, I'll buy him because of his streamability. You know, if he can play six games, that's six games that he that he's going to probably finish as a tight end one. They don't really have much competition for him at target. So, you know, you definitely want to make sure you, you're you not just relying on Jordan Reed, but he's a guy that I'm willing to buy. Not mobile and getting older, but still the GOAT. Tom Brady at QB 17. I mean, it's this. this sounds funny. <laughs> when you say it out loud but the guys like i prefer lamar jackson over him with the rest i agree upside I agree, and, yep. and josh allen but i will say that tom brady getting josh gordon back i think is uh, a big deal i ultimately just think he's so much more of a floor quarterback than a ceiling quarterback yeah, that's a great point and last one jake seely tout here oakland rookie running back josh jacobs going at rb20 yeah, I've I've been a believer in Josh Jacobs. I liked him a lot as a prospect, despite his questionable profile. And I really don't think he's got much competition in Oakland. And I'm not worried about Jalen Richard. I think Jacobs will have the pass-catching role. So I'm willing to buy him at that price tag. Let's go to a question from Seasonal. person wrote in, mid-round wide receivers, really tough to distinguish. Standard league, standard league questions, Elliot. There still are standard leagues. Rank these fifth-round <laughs> wide receivers in order that you think. Tyler Lockett, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore. Yeah, I think it's funny that you said there still are standard leagues. Um, I remember John Proctor was like, if you play in standard leagues, I don't swim around in your kiddie pool. Um, <laughs> Good one, yep. So I don't I don't want to berate this guy, but I would take Tyler Lockett 1, Calvin Ridley 2, DJ Moore 3. I think Ridley and Moore are very close. Um, ultimately, I prefer the Curtis Samuel discount on Moore, but I think Lockett is you know on a touchdown – where touchdowns are the most important, his increased volume, he's always going to be an efficient player, even if he loses some efficiency. I think he's the clear one guy there. And the Seattle defense is really struggling, lost a lot of guys, so they may actually be forced to take the reins off Russell Wilson, which can only help Tyler Lockett. I, I agree. Dynasty question here about a guy that I've been very high on. We talked about him earlier. Somebody wrote, I want to trade for Latavius Murray, but the guy who has him continues to hold out. Would you give a 2020 second or third round pick straight up for Murray? Now, of course, we have to know the construct of the team. But assuming this is a guy who obviously thinks he can make a move, maybe win a title this year. Do you think Murray for a 2020 second or third is fair? I mean, a third is easy money for me. I mean, third. I'll trade third-round picks for guys that can make me a, a contender all day long. The second, it would be very helpful to know where the second is. But if we're assuming that he thinks it's a late 2022nd, 
even though the class is really deep, I think Murray is worth the value for going for a championship this year. He's been the goal line running back in Oakland. They gave it to him in Minnesota. So I think at worst, you're getting goal line value there. Like I said, for a third, like you said, for a third is an automatic. Second actually can really consider it, of course. What's the best Christmas or birthday gift you received as a kid? Oh, I th- you know what? I, it's, I'm going to go two, and I know that's cheating. When I was like 10, I got like a PlayStation, and my parents basically banned video games in the house. Right. And I was like, well, Santa is real. Um, <laughs> smart, smart parents, yes. So I, that, that's, that's probably it. And honestly, um, a lot of people that know me on Twitter know that I'm huge into sports memorabilia. And my parents got me a signed Peyton Manning football uh, when I was like 17. And it's uh, probably my favorite thing I own to this day because of that. But it's what really got me into collecting sports memorabilia. So the the jubilation of PlayStation as a kid and then the kind of love of sports memorabilia with that football. Oh, I talked about it earlier this summer. I love the old sticker books that they used to have where you get those packs, you football, you have your like 10 guys, you put those stickers in. Yeah, memorabilia. I got uh, playing cards, trading cards, the whole thing. Absolutely. Those are two good ones. One's tangible and one, of course, is new. That's, that's what you get with Elliot Christ here. He's got the old school combined with the new school here with the, with the video games. Very good. Time for redraft lightning round. Tell me which player you like better. Start with two veteran QBs, Philip Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger. Two running backs who have players breathing down their necks, veteran guys who no one's really crazy about, Lamar Miller or Jordan Howard. Uh, give me Lamar Miller. He's boring, but he's going to end up as an RB2 again. <laughs> I think Miles Sanders, by the way, I don't know if you agree, I think Miles Sanders is going to take that job over sooner rather than later. He could be a league winner in, in, in a lot of formats. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think Jordan Howard's best case scenario is 30, 35% of the snaps. And in season-long leagues, I don't know how you're going to play him week to week. Assuming that the Melvin Gordon holdout continues, Austin Eckler or Justin Jackson? Austin Eckler by a lot. I like Justin Jackson, and he was actually one of my favorite zero RB guys when he was going in the 18th round. But the thing about Eckler is he completely outsnapped Justin Jackson when Gordon missed time last year. He's got the pass-catching role, which is the more valuable role. And if Gordon does come back, Eckler's still got value. This is one of these guys, I completely agree. Eckler is by far the better player. He's been much more productive, and he has outsnapped Jackson in the past. My gut is telling me, Elliot, though, that this is one of these situations where they're going to play at 50-50, and that Jackson could actually still be a better value because people are buying into Eckler. I agree. The fantasy community agrees. But sometimes isn't there that disconnect between what the coaches think and what the fantasy people think? The, the assumption of rational coaching is probably the thing that bites me the most in the ass <laughs> of anything ever. That's the most mind-boggling thing in DFS when the guy's going up against like the worst corner in football and they can't cover that area of the field. And he's been targeted 10 or more times in like a bunch of straight games. And you just watch the game tape and he's open every play and he gets one target. And you're just Absolutely. like, this is, this is maddening. But I think the big thing with Eckler is that if Gordon comes back, Jackson has no value and Eckler still has value. And last one, better wide receiver finish this year. Two guys that people are really high on, Christian Kirk in Arizona or Robbie Anderson with the Jets? These are two of my guys, so I'm kind of mad you asked me this question, but I'm going to take Robbie Anderson. I really think that he's developed so much, and I know he's got a tough wide receiver uh, cornerback schedule, but he's developed a great chemistry with Sam Darnold. He's uh, able to get off press coverage, which is huge. It's something he struggled with. He's got that 
big time playmaking ability and the Jets really want to use him in they're using him in screens and underneath routes and I think they're going to force feed on the ball this year so I like Robbie Anderson a lot this year I agree I think uh, that's one of the uh, sort of noise you hear in there that I believe I think they're going to really use him all over and he's in a contract year so certainly he's motivated Elliot I could talk to you all day last question then we'll get you out of here you can't win your fantasy league in the first two rounds, but of course we're looking for safety. You don't want the blow-up person. You don't want the bust. Give me the early round player, round one, two, even three, who you think that, you know what, I'm trying to avoid him. I think his floor is way too low, and while he's in that range solidly, he's a guy that you're sort of steering away in most of your drafts because you simply want to stay in the game and avoid that bust player. So I could cheat and say Patrick Mahomes for the times I see him go in the first three rounds, but I'm not going to do that. Honestly, for me, and it's not even necessarily a guy that I, I really dislike, it's James Conner. James Conner and then Zach Ertz would be my third-round guy. I just prefer Kittle so much, and I think Ertz's volume is going to fall off a cliff this year. He might be a little bit more efficient, but he's being drafted to do what he did last year. And with Jackson back and Goddard playing um, and Alshon Jeffrey, I just don't see him getting you know leading the league in catches. With Connor, you know, I think Jalen Samuels is going to take some of that pass-catching role. But the biggest thing is you have to take him over those Tier 1 wide receivers. And I can't take him over Beckham and Julio Jones and Michael Thomas and Tyreek Hill and Juju Smith. I think those guys are just much better values at that point. So I always kind of let him fall. And if he goes late second, I'm happy to grab him. But where he goes, I just don't end up with any of them. Folks, Elliot Christ gave us tremendous information, just throws the stats out off the top of his head. Director of Production Analytics at the Quan Edge, TQE. Got to check it out. They're killing it in preseason. Gives you so much great data that you can use and synthesize to make the right decision during fantasy season. Absolute must follow on Twitter at Elliot Chris 1L. Elliot, thanks so much, man. Great as always. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a fantastic job. And thanks so much for giving us a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, same to you. You're one of my favorite followers on Twitter. I love interacting with you. I can't wait for college basketball this year to kind of follow some of your bets and, and win some money. So you've been doing awesome work, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on here. And if you ever want me back, just let me know, and I'll come back. No problem, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag of Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcasts. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.